Romans 16, verses 17 to 20. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Well, we took time out last week to zero in on one of the most significant couples in the New Testament, and that is Priscilla and Aquila. They're actually mentioned more times than several of the apostles of the twelve. Several of the twelve are mentioned less than Priscilla and Aquila, and uh, they played a very significant role in the early church, and uh, in the life of the Apostle Paul in particular. We noted five outstanding characteristics of this couple. First of all, they were certainly known as a team for the Lord. They're mentioned together six times uh, in the New Testament, and never is one mentioned without the other. Secondly, they were obviously given to hospitality, They sometimes even had itinerant preachers stay with them for over a year and a half. That one of those itinerant preachers being the Apostle Paul. Um, Thirdly, they were willing to instruct and help new Christians. Apollos is a um, notable example of that. Fourthly, they were willing to enter into dangerous situations for the Lord. In fact, they actually on some occasion, risk their lives. And uh, we know when Paul says that, it's more than just a general thing. They were were in danger. And then fifthly, they had numerous churches meet in their home. It seems like wherever they went, and they moved around quite a bit, uh, Paul was sending a greeting to them and to the church that met in their home. And so... Now, what an amazing couple Priscilla and Aquila were for the Lord. Well, we come today then to these verses that we've just read, and they uh, they come to us, we come to them, but they come to us as kind of a jolt uh, in the middle of these greetings, uh, kind of surprising. And um, there have been several explanations put forward for this. One One thing we need to remember when we're reading this, is that this was a long letter, and it was written by hand, and um, Paul didn't just sit down and and have this thing done in a few minutes. It would have taken days, really, probably, and uh, breaking off and coming back. And it's very possible that he left off for a while at verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And when he came back, he may have just been fresh from uh, 
hearing about some new problem in one of the other churches. You remember he talks in 1 Corinthians 11 about that which came upon him daily, concern for all the churches. But at any rate, Paul feels uh, the need to warn them here about divisions and about false teachings. And there's some question how to translate verse 17. The New American Standard says this, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. And that sounds like he's dealing with a present situation, like there was a problem at Rome. There were people already there at Rome. And he's telling them to keep their eye on those people. Um, I think the ESV is more likely right in this. This is what the ESV says. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. That's the word stumbling blocks. Create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And that sounds more like Paul is warning them against false teachers that may be coming. They're not there yet. You don't ever get the feel as you go through Romans that they're dealing with some major problem there at Rome. And so I think maybe that one's more likely. But at any rate, he says, um, I urge you to, to watch out for those who cause divisions. Uh, it's a serious thing, and Paul is burdened about it. I urge you to watch out for those who cause divisions. The word translated watch out is a strong word. One person put it like this, to be exceedingly particular about and to get acquainted with and to search out thoroughly. So Paul views division as something extremely serious and dangerous, and he views unity as something extremely precious and something to be guarded at all cost. Uh, Mac Tomlinson spoke on this in the opening message at the fellowship conference, and I was really struck in a fresh way how much Paul has to say about this. It's like everywhere. He's talking about it in in every letter. Uh, Over and over it comes up. It was a major burden in the New Testament and a major burden of the Apostle Paul in particular. Let me just give you a few of them. Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So diligence. And incidentally here, diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The word peace, usually when we read that, we tend to think of um, um, inner peace, personal peace. But he's talking about something that relates to peace within the body, with, it, with unity. And let me just listen to it again. <clears throat> Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So when you read the word peace, and we, we've been seeing this in the theology study on Saturday morning, um, most cases where we tend to read and we think, well, that has to do with me having peace. 
Most cases it's in the context of unity in the body where there's not this, you know, division and rancor. Um, We'll see that as we go along here. But being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians 1.10, this is Corinthians. I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. And in 2 Corinthians, same thing. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. And then in Colossians three fourteen and 15, Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see how that comes up over and over. It's talking about within the body. Um, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then 1 Thessalonians five twelve to 13 we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. And Titus 3.10, reject a factious man after first and second warning. The ESV, I think, is clearer. It says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. And we've seen this over and over in Romans itself, haven't we? It's like the theme of Romans. And again, in theology time, we've been um, studying through Romans and uh, this, this book that we're going through related to the Holy Spirit. He actually takes the position that this is the main thrust of Romans, that he's, Paul's talking about the gospel, yes, but it's the gospel that brings Jew and Gentile together in unity. And so in chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and so on, you've got both Jew and Gentile are equally condemned in the eyes of the law. Both Jew and Gentile are saved in the same way. Both Jew and Gentile are saved apart from law keeping. And finally, you get over in chapter 14, doesn't matter about foods and so on, we're brought together in unity. It's just all through Romans. Uh, Let me read to you again from chapter 14. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So again, this peace here uh, has to do with... Um, people getting along, Jew and Gentile in this case, in many cases, but uh, differences of opinion and so on, um, broken down by the gospel. And then Romans fifteen five and 6, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, here in chapter 16, he continues again, again, this theme of exhorting them to unity 
and to be on their guard against anyone who would cause division. So that's the first point that I would present to you today. That is that unity is extremely important to Paul and to God, and division of all kinds is extremely harmful. So right in the midst of all these greetings, he brings us in it's something that's bothering him for some reason. We don't know again what, why this came up, but here it is. So the first point, unity is extremely important to God and division of all kinds is extremely harmful. What's the second point? Well, the second point is there are three characteristics that Paul gives of those we are to watch out for. What are they? Well, first of all, these people cause divisions and stumbling blocks, literally, against the teaching that the church has received. And in this case, these stumbling blocks uh, uh, against the teaching were apparently outright heresy because he views these men as non-Christians. And... uh, uh, so they were they were setting forth these stumbling blocks, but this applies in lesser matters too. Uh, for example, suppose I start attending a church where they have been taught that the women are supposed to wear head coverings and all the men sit on one side and the women on the other. There are some true churches like that, a lot of them. And... Um, Particularly in the brethren background, you see that a lot. The people that truly, truly love the Lord, truly know the Lord. So suppose I start fellowshipping in that church, and I begin to go around and talk to people that are weaker and more easily swayed, and just say a few things about, you know, that head covering deal, and that deal of the women separate, setting separately, and undermining what everybody's been taught. It's the same kind of thing that Paul's talking about here, and it's a very serious thing. Um, Paul tells us to turn away from those who would do that. Don't listen to them. If I were to come into a group, even if I was right in what I believed, if I came into a group where everybody had been taught the other way, and I went to the weak, not nothing wrong with going to the leadership, but if I went to the weaker members and try to subvert, um, you shouldn't listen to a person like that. Even if they're right in what they're saying, you shouldn't listen to them. Paul says, don't listen to them, don't enter into a conversation, don't entertain their arguments. So that's the first characteristic. They, they, um, cause divisions and stumbling blocks contrary to the teaching that the church has received. Second characteristic of these people that Paul has in mind is that they are not serving Christ, but their own appetites or egos. And the word translated appetites uh, here in verse 18 is literally the word bellies. They serve their bellies. And again, we don't know for sure what Paul's talking about uh, when he talks about them uh, serving or being slaves of their own bellies. Um, there, There are several interpretations. Two of the possible meanings here are exactly opposite from one another. 
And so here's somebody serving his belly. Some people say, well, that's talking about gluttons. Uh, those characterized by a greedy, dissipated life of excess. Now, usually a person like that would not have a great deal of influence coming in and subverting. Uh, the other interpretation that's just about the opposite says that it's talking about those who were overly concerned about the Old Testament food laws. And so, like in Colossians, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, bringing up and you could see how that was happening in Romans 14 to some degree. Um, in that case, they've made a god out of their bellies by being so scrupulous about these foods. And uh, they've elevated that to some big thing um, that takes the place of God. Either way, it seems right to say that they are taken up with themselves or egocentric uh, is the way one commentator summed it up. And you can't be egocentric and self-important and still serve Christ. You can think you are, but you can't. Uh, the third characteristic of these people, and he gives three here, the third characteristic is that they most often are characterized by smooth talk and fine words, as one translation has it, by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Uh, the New American Standard has the word flattering, flattering speech, but actually this is the Greek word from which we get the word eulogy, and it's everywhere else in the New Testament it's positive in its meaning. Uh, it's most often translated blessing. So in James 3 where it says, out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing, that's what this word is. Uh, Paul talks about um, blessing in different places in Romans, uses the same word. So this is kind of amazing. Um, harmful, divisive, and even heretical speech is most often not harsh and strident. It's smooth and blessing. And we need to be wise and discerning and listen to the actual content of what's being said, not just the manner in which it's being said. And that seems to be the meaning of the next verse. He says, For, your, for the report of your obedience has reached to all, therefore I'm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent as what in what is evil, it, it seems like he's saying this, look, you're doing great. That's all the more reason for you to be on guard and to beware uh, lest you be deceived. If we have the attitude, I'm wise and I don't need to worry, we're set up to be deceived. And um, these things are often quite different than they first appear. And that's why the Lord Jesus warned us so often to beware and be on our guard. Um, I remember about 25 or 30 years ago, there was a somewhat well-known Christian leader uh, who fell into severe moral sin. And I think he really was a Christian. Um, this is not some of the, the TV characters, but um, someone who was totally broken up over this. 
And after he was restored, he said something in an interview that I've never forgotten. He said before all this happened, someone was interviewing him and they said, if Satan were to attack you, where, would, where do you think he would attack you? And he said, well, one thing I know, it wouldn't be in the area of my marriage because I have such a wonderful marriage. Well, guess what? It's like the area where he was the most confident, the area where he was the strongest, is where he fell. And we, we may have the attitude, and, and we do a lot of times, it's like, I won't be deceived. I know so much, I won't be deceived. And that is the very attitude that Paul's warning about. And that's what he's saying to the Romans. He said, look, you people are known everywhere. You remember what he said? I'm confident that you're full of goodness and able to admonish one another. He's saying you people are known all over for your discernment and for your maturity. And then he says, but I don't want you to lose that. I, don't, I want you to, be, to continue in that, to be wise in what's good and simple concerning evil. Well... Um, what about this whole thing then? The first point of this section that we've read is that unity is so precious and important and division is so uh, destructive. Second point is three characteristics of the, of the people that Paul's warning them about and the type of thing he's warning about. Um, and then the third thing that I want us to see here is that and if we could just get a hold of this. Behind all this is the working of Satan. Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's not saying that out in thin air. It's not separated from what he's just been saying. He's saying this is not men. Ultimately, it's the devil trying to divide, trying to destroy, trying to wreak havoc. Um, Behind all these things is the working of the devil. And uh, he said, notice how he starts out, the God of peace. Again, same thing again. He's not talking about personal peace. He's talking about the God who is not the author of confusion, but of peace and uh, harmony, unity. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Um, Satan is the one whom Paul recognizes as being behind these things. And just to realize, even in false doctrine, false doctrine is not something that men just cook up. You remember, let me read it to you from 1 Timothy 4. He says, The Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. These doctrines are made up by demons. Well, what's an example? You know, oh, you know, denying the deity of Christ. Well, it is that. But listen to what he's talking about. But by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. That's what he calls the doctrine of demons. And think of how subtle this, for example, in Romans 14, how subtle it is when people are saying, they're making up 
stricter laws. You know, you've got to you've got to abide by this and you've got to abide by that. And it sounds more holy. And Paul says in Colossians, they have a show of wisdom and will worship, but they're of no value in mortifying the flesh. So a person comes in with smooth speech and fine words and blessings and talking very nicely and going to the weaker members and talking about things, for example, where they're saying you need to follow more rules and you've got to have more. And you see, Paul categorizes that as a doctrine of demons, not just denying the deity of Christ. Isn't that amazing? And so um, he warns against that. And the stumbling block, creating stumbling blocks. He's talked about that, the uh, stumbling blocks in Romans 14. So Satan is the one behind false doctrine. He's the one behind dissension and division and stumbling blocks. Um, the word diablos, devil, means what? Slanderer. And a slanderer, we're told in Proverbs, separates intimate friends. So once again, this is a reminder. Paul's writing to a church that seems to have, in many ways, wonderful unity. And he's just concerned about them. He's warning them. He said, you're excelling. You're doing great. I just don't want you to, to do anything but that. And he warns them about this. Um, we're not enemies of each other. We have a co- common enemy who's behind all these things. And uh, it can be, it can come even through a Peter. You remember Jesus uh, was going along there and Peter's talking about his crucifixion. Peter says, far be it from you, Lord. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So it doesn't necessarily, I think in this case, these are false teachers, but uh, we ought to take encouragement from this because we're not fighting against flesh and blood. None of us are. Uh, we're, we're not enemies of each other. We've got an enemy who's trying to divide us all the time. And we ought to especially be on guard against Satan's devices. Well, then in verse 20, we have a promise of victory. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And you remember Genesis 3.15 where God's the promise of the Gospel that uh, Christ would triumph over the serpent and uh, He would bruise Christ's heel, but Christ would bruise His head. Well, here this is applied apparently to believers. It's our feet. But notice this. God does this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. God does it, but it's under our feet. And so there's responsibility here. He's the one that gets the victory, and He's the one that gets the praise. But we're not passive in this. We have a responsibility to actively resist the devil. We have a responsibility to actively renounce false teaching and wrong thoughts of one another, to actively be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, to be to be diligent, to reject when some wrong thought comes into my mind about a brother or sister, to actively take a stand against it and call it a lie, 
take a stand on the truth, to refuse to let one another uh, undermine or say uh, slanderous things about others in the body. All of this we're active in, and yet God is the one who gives the victory. And then he closes this section finally with this prayer, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, which comes up over and over at the end of Paul's letters. Now this is not quite the end yet, and Lord willing we'll go on next time to verse 21 and following, but the first part of these greetings are greetings to people at the church in Rome. The last part of the greetings are greetings from people who are with Paul to that church. And so there are others that are are greeting here. Timothy greets them and so on. We'll look at this, Lord willing, next time. And then this final closing um, praise to God and uh, glory in what God has done in verses 25 to 27. Well, amen. These are things we've heard and know, but we need to we need to hear them uh, repeatedly as they come up repeatedly in Scripture.